0: Uh, My name is Andy Campman. I'm the director of mobilization for the 100 People Network. And today we're going to talk about consummation. Consummation. Consummation between the bride and the groom. And we're going to look at two different questions. Number one, what's going to happen? Consummation is going to happen. The fulfillment of what God started out to do in Genesis happens in Revelation. We see it right away at the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 28, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Bring my reign and rule, my kingdom, my dominion over all the earth. And then we see the Great Commission really given the first time in Genesis chapter 12, when God says to a family, starting with a man named Abram or Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go. Go to the land I will show you and I will bless you and make your name great so that you would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And that's where it starts. That's how God's going to get his name to all the peoples, through his people. And so we're going to look at that consummation and how, how and why we should care this morning. Because that hasn't happened yet. Jesus has yet to return. This relationship with Jesus has been started, but is yet to be consummated. And that's why we're focusing today on Matthew 24, 14. Matthew 24 verse 14, where Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come consummation will happen. And we're going to talk about today how that should affect our lives right now. The second one is, the second question we're going to look at is how is, who is it going to happen to? It's going to happen to us, the church, the bride of Christ. And how right now when I say church, there's probably a different biblical definition than what you have in your mind right now and how that affects when consummation happens. So, here we go. I want to give you a heads up right away. The band is not going to come in and slide in with about ten minutes left and do some really neat padding, okay, and try to make you feel this certain way, and then I'm going to talk real smooth and every, um, every head bowed and every you know eye closed. We're not going to do that at all, okay? Sorry, I wasn't trying to make fun if that's how you grew up, okay? Um, some powerful decisions have been made that way, and we affirm that, but we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to unashamedly... We're going to unashamedly and unapologetically this morning call you to go to the nations. Everyone. No matter who you think you are or who you think you aren't, we're going to call you to the nations. To proclaim the good news, to leave Austin like these 23, to leave Austin, to leave everything that's familiar and go to a people they do not know and learn their language and culture and begin to make disciples that make disciples. That we would see, and there are literally this morning, there are today, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of people praying across the entire world, praying and fasting for you, that God would awaken his desire in you. So it's, it's going to happen. It's going to be unbelievable. And that you would raise your hand and say, I will go. And we're going to give you the practical next steps. We'll unpack that at the end. And, and, and real quick, at the beginning, I want to say, too, don't check out. Some of you are like, oh, man, I could have had the, the best seat for the playoffs, you know, this afternoon. That would have, I, could have, I knew I should have just watched the pregame. You're like, this is the go message, huh? I'm here for that one. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. 100% you are. And you need to be asking yourself, am I sure that God has called me here? I think a better question for every person listening to this today is, God, why would I not join you in going to the nations to proclaim the good news? Why would I not join you? Not, God, should I go, but, God, why would I not go? And again, no matter who you think you are or are not, it doesn't matter if you are on staff, if you're an elder or a deacon, it doesn't matter if you're a part of the band, it doesn't matter if you have a really successful job and you give lots of money, no matter who you think you are or who you think you are, there are some of you in here that are just like, I couldn't do it, I couldn't go, I, you, I mean, just last night I, I slept with somebody that wasn't my wife, I'm Andy, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I'm addicted to cocaine. You don't know my past. I've I've messed up bad. You know what? For those of you who are the aren'ts, that's exactly who God usually loves to pick. Amen, amen. Amen. So no matter who you think you are or not, the call today for us is to ask God, why would I not join you in going going long term? And we're going to talk about short term opportunities too. But at the end of the day, we need to send people long term. So number one, what's going to happen? What is going to happen? Consummation is going to happen. This is one of the questions that the disciples of Jesus were asking him in verse 3. It says, when is the close of the age going to happen? Jesus, when are you going to return and bring your kingdom? When are you going to come back to the the earth and, and restore us? And Jesus talks about in the next eight verses, verses 5 through 13 of Matthew 24, about wars and rumors of wars and natural calamity and and persecution and and martyrdom and how all these things right now are, are happening in our world. And then he gets to verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And then the end will come. And so whatever your end times theology is, there is no doubt from this text that Jesus promises at least two things. Number one, number one, that all the nations throughout the whole world will have a testimony about the gospel of the kingdom. And we'll unpack that in a second. Who are these nations? And number two, the end will come. Amen? The end will come. It's coming And I think it's even going to maybe happen in our lifetime. I'm praying that it would happen in our lifetime. But the end will come. We know that. Because why? Because God's kingdom, the truth about God's reign and rule, will be everywhere among all the peoples of the earth. And so to celebrate, Jesus will return and gather all of his bride, all of his elect, to himself. Jesus the groom, us the bride. This is consummation. It's a good thing. George, Dr. George Eldon Ladd said this, he said, there is wide interest among God's people as to the time of Christ's return. Will it be soon or late? Many prophetic Bible conferences offer messages with, that, that search the Bible and scan the newspapers to understand the prophecy and signs of the times to try to determine how near to the end we may be. Our text, Matthew 24, 14, is the clearest statement in God's word about the time of our Lord's second coming. There is no verse which speaks as concisely and as distinctly as this verse about the time when the kingdom will come. End quote. It's weighty stuff. And this is a direct application of Tyler's message last week. The direct application is, see, we have a tendency to turn to things outside of the Bible rather than just looking to the Bible, reading what it says, believing what it says, and becoming obedient to it through God's spirit that dwells in us. Jesus tells us plainly what must happen before he comes. All the peoples must have a witness, and we'll unpack what that means. And I want to try to be clear here. We definitely do not know when when God is going to return, when Jesus will return. Acts 1 makes it really clear. But from the narrative of the scriptures including Matthew 24:14, it is a promise of Jesus that all tongues, tribes, nations and countries will have a witness and then the end will come. So it stands to reason that if Jesus has yet to return, then assumably all the peoples of the earth don't yet have a testimony among them. But we don't know exactly. And we don't know exactly how God defines two words in this passage even, witness and nations. And so that's why we believe, number one, that God could return before the end of this message. And that would be great. Maybe we've missed, maybe we've missed it. That would be awesome. Come, Lord Jesus. And number two that God is not waiting on us to get the job done and then he will return as if he needed us to complete his work but rather that he has sovereignly invited us to join him in what he is doing namely drawing all the peoples of the earth to himself this is the coming consummation so how do you feel how do you feel when somebody gets engaged we had a couple friends that just got engaged over the, the Christmas um, break, and uh, they came to us, you know, they're excited. They're not really even walking. They're just kind of floating along, you know. There's no reality for them, you know. Like, so if you are around people like that, give them some grace. If you're married, you were like that once, you, you, you'll remember. And, and, and you're really, unless you're drowning in self-pity about your singleness, sorry, single people, but unless you're, you're, you're not enjoying that gift, then you're really excited for them. You're, it's just the truth, amen? And so let's say one of your friends gets engaged, let's say it's January 13th, and and, and, and then automatically the first next question is what? When are you going to get married, right? When's the big day? And let's say that they tell you um, probably sometime in April, and you're like, wow, I mean that's fast, three, four months away, Um, but I guess when you know, you know. And they, they shake their heads in confusion and say, no, April 2014, or maybe May or the summer. Really? I mean, the point of engagement is marriage. I mean, what, what do you have going on? And sorry if this is you today. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to speak some truths from the scriptures into your life, okay? The point of engagement is marriage. It's consummation. I mean, what do you have going on in your life that's so important that it can't be rearranged so you can be together? That's. I mean, I go into problem-solver mode right away like, so, um, help me understand uh, why you guys are waiting a little longer, you know? And, and, and they, as they unpack their reasons, excuses, none of them really seems that insurmountable. I I mean, other than following Jesus uh, and responding to him, this is one of the biggest decisions of your life and you're going to push it back for what? Jesus was quoting Genesis 2 when he said in, in a couple of the gospels, he said, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and so as it relates to marriage a man and woman leave their parents not just to be together not just to be better friends not to just get better tax returns but to become one flesh right and this this means multiple things but at the very least it means consummation like the honeymoon night like we dance we eat we sing we drive away in little cars and then consummation (laughs) amen married people Thank you. Nine o'clock. I mean, I think they got some issues going on. Hardly anybody. Amen. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. God created it for our joy. He created it so we could populate this planet. And He created consummation and marriage. Maybe even primarily created those things so that we would have words and experiences and thoughts to know more deeply and understand about our relationship with Jesus and his coming. That's why it's given to us. I'm not making this stuff up, guys. Uh, Ephesians 5 makes it super clear. Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32. Again, it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, here's the clincher in verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We are the bride to be. And Jesus is our groom. And we have yet to fully come together. Consummation has yet to happen. So, and, 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 and so so far, like most of you are like, "Amen, and you're saying, "So what's the problem?" What's the problem? The problem is this, that many of us are living like an engaged bride who really doesn't give much thought or effort towards our consummation with Jesus. We are the bride-to-be living almost clueless to the implications of our coming consummation. We, we have this kind of it-will-happen-when-it-happens mentality. Sure, we work on it a little bit, whatever that means, uh, every once in a while... But it does not consume us. We are promised to Jesus, but rarely consumed by the reality of his coming. We are promised to Jesus, but rarely consumed by the reality of his coming. And see, when we responded to Jesus and he entered our lives, our relationship, our marriage, it was only inaugurated, only started yet to be and has yet to be consummated. The consummation is when Jesus will return and we will see him face to face and know him more intimately, more fully than we ever have. Like the honeymoon night. This consummation is going to happen. I mean, here when we worship Jesus, maybe even just a few moments ago, when we're, we're, we're screaming and yelling at the top of our lungs and desiring so much and enjoying what we can of, of Jesus, that, or whatever best moment you have in mind with Jesus, that is but a kiss on the cheek. And maybe, maybe it's just even holding hands, and holding hands does not compare to consummation. Amen? Dude, you single people should say amen. You've held hands. You haven't consummated. It's different. And consummation is coming. Revelation 19 describes what will happen. Then I, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper. Of the Lamb. And, and, and many of us, I mean, we've heard these passages. We've heard the one in Ephesians before. And we're thinking, yeah, that, I mean, that's cool. You know, put on a t-shirt. Bumper sticker, maybe. No. No, no, no. It's not cool. It's not t-shirt worthy. It's its Unbelievable. That sinners like us, ones who were far off from God, ones who were children of wrath, ones who were not a people, through Jesus and his death and resurrection have now become people of God. And we get to worship with our groom, Jesus the Messiah, our Savior, forever and ever and ever. This is amazing. And it should affect us now. This is Inaugurated but not yet fulfilled union should affect us now. And here's the good news, church. If this isn't your passion, or this is the first time you've heard about this, or you've lost this passion, there's good news. Jesus is so forgiving and redeeming. I, I, that's one of the reasons I love the disciples. I love the disciples because like me they mess up all the time. They forget about the great promises of God. They forget about the fact that they are in close relationship with the Messiah, the savior of the world. Peter denies Christ 3 times and God Jesus just restores him. So we can be restored. This morning if you don't feel restore worthy then you're not believing the gospel. The good news, the gospel is you're not And yet Jesus, through Jesus, God has redeemed you again and again and again. God, may 2013 be the year where we, as your people, live as your people, as your bride. Who is this? The second question we're going to ask is, who is this? We're at the bride. Who is this going to happen to? Who is the church? Because most of us, when we think about the church, we think about those that we're sitting by or the church that we're a part of. And that's good, and that definitely is a part of it, but that is incomplete. The verse again says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. All nations. Who is that all talking about? That all in the Greek is referring to each and every part that makes up the whole. So the focus is on the parts that make up the whole or viewing the whole in view of the individual parts. And so think about a family, right? We have six people in our family. um, And our family went to the Trail of Lights over at Zilker Park. Anybody go to the Madness? Y'all, okay. It's, we're, we just lived here, you know, in Austin for a year and a half. You're like, no, I try to avoid it. Went to it once, and no, I mean it's really cool. All these twinkling lights, and you you walk around for like four hours with your family, you know, and uh, and see all these twinkling lights. I mean, it was it was neat. Our kids loved it. It's a little crazy, and um and we're there just walking in as a family, and as we get closer, more and more and more and more and more people. And so we were with some friends, and they each grabbed one of our twins, and then um and I grabbed Anna, and then and then Jamie. Was pushing Jamin, our, our little ten month old, uh, in the stroller, and we were walking along, oohing and on taking pictures. And I kid you not, we had walked five minutes, okay? And it's just packed with people. We had walked five minutes. I turn around, and Jamie, my wife, and 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 our little son are nowhere to be found. I mean, and we're looking, and 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 and, and I had. I don't know why I did this, but I, Jamie asked me to hold her phone, so we, I had that in my pocket, so there wasn't any way to, you know. Now, what would it be like if I told you, you know what, we looked for a little bit, and then we continued on, we got to the end, we looked a little bit more, and we didn't see them, and I mean, I got three other kids, right? I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get them down, and, and maybe, I mean, there's lots of people, and maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll say a little prayer for them. But then I gotta go home and get these other, and and you know, um, and maybe we'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> no way! I mean, are you kidding me? I would do whatever it took to find my family, because my family would not be complete, not all until all six members are there. I would not go home, I would not sleep, I would do whatever it took, take, however you're supposed to say it, (laughs) to find them, no matter what, And, and, and yet, and yet, when I think about my life, my life, this is sometimes what I say to the world. well, well, I'm sorry, world. It's just a little too hard. There there are just too many of you. Maybe I'll say a little prayer, give a little spare change. It's just too much. I'm I'm just one little Texan or Texan wannabe, right? What what can I really do? And, and, And guys, this is not just a guilt deal. Like, all the world's going to hell unless you do something about it. Now, there's, there's parts of that that are definitely true. But to a greater extent, this is a joy deal. Can you imagine what happened when we were you, reunited as a family? It was good. And, and to a greater extent, when people who are not in the family of God are brought in, especially among those who have never heard the good news. Like I have two, just a few years back, I was in Pakistan, Pakistan, however you're supposed to say it. And I met this guy, and he used to be Al-Qaeda, straight up Al-Qaeda, and somebody was bold enough to share Jesus with him, and he comes to faith in Christ, and then he shares with his brother, God does a work in his heart, and then in their whole family's heart, and before you know it, these two brothers are giving their lives, and they still are today, to planting churches that plant churches that plant churches all across Pakistan. Amen. And so the point is, right, there is deep Satisfying, everlasting joy in sharing the good news with those who have never heard. Deep joy, and yet often we as the promised bride say, No thanks, God. I'm just going to keep looking at my phone for a little bit longer. No thanks, God. I've got things to do. No thanks, God i got to check out my Twitter account or how my stuff's doing on Craigslist. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this morning, today, that you can't have a phone, okay? I'm just saying don't find joy there. Joy is not found on your phone. It's found in helping people who are a part of the family realize that they're a part of the family. They've been chosen to become a part of the family, and they see it for the first time. So now we have to ask a question, Where do we find these family members? Where do we find them? In the passage again, it said, as a testimony to all nations. So we've unpacked all, now let's unpack nations. The Greek word there is ethnos or ethne. Where we get the word ethnic from and this idea of people groups. Ethno or ethnos is people groups or ethne is a people group. And this is how God sees the world. It's really important because this is how we look at the country of Nigeria. You know Nigeria, right there in in, in Africa, right? This is how we view it, as a geopolitical nation or a country. That's when we see nation, that's what we think. But this is actually how God sees Nigeria, with all these different people groups, with all these different ethne. And he promises, Jesus promises, that there will be a witness among every single one of these before the end comes, before consummation happens. And so if Jesus has yet to return, then what makes the most sense is that all the ethne, not just here in Nigeria, but all the ethne across the world have yet to hear or to have a witness among them about the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And so a good question to ask would be, well, how many unreached people groups are there? Well, according to Joshua Project .net, Joshua JoshuaProject, you can download it on your phone. What's amazing is you can carry the list of unreached people groups in your pocket. Uh, JoshuaProject.net says there's about 7,000 people groups considered unreached. And when I say unreached, I mean this, unreached. Okay? That means there are either no or such a small amount of believers, I, I'm talking like 25 or less among hundreds, thousands, millions, that there's not enough to, for that whole people to have a witness. It'd be like if Austin were an unreached people group, which it's not. But if Austin was an unreached people group, and let's say we commissioned these first two rows, and, and, and not commissioned, they were the only believers in all of Austin. 1.234 million people. All of Austin would not know the gospel yet. It would take years for them to proclaim the good news. Now it can happen. But something radical has to happen with each 25 to reach the 1.2, and this is how it is for the Halbi people in North Africa, where I was just a couple months ago. The Halbi people live in and around the city we were in, and there there are 25 or less known believers among them. And so the majority, 99.9999999% of them, will never hear the good news unless something radical changes unless somebody leaves their culture and goes to that culture and begins to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And yet Jesus promises that there will be a witness among them. And this is the difference between the Halbi and Austin. In Austin, do we have people that haven't heard the good news? Yes, we do. Our neighbors, for, for instance. We have neighbors that until three months ago had never heard the good news about Jesus. But you know what the difference is? Our neighbors have us. They have gospel resources, people, radio stations, great churches all around Austin to know about Jesus, to know Jesus intimately. But the Halbi people have none of that. And they're 1.2 million people with just two rows of believers total. And so when people bring up to us and they say, well, well, Andy, a lot of times the pushback we get when we talk about going to the nations is what about the needs here? We absolutely affirm there's needs here. There's needs in your neighborhood, in your apartment, in your dorm. There are needs here for sure. And we want the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom to be proclaimed in those, no doubt. But... We also need to and be about those who have never heard and have no gospel resources going to them. Here's a picture of the world. This box up here, this box up here is called the 1040 window. That's where most of the unreached peoples live. From 10 degrees north lati- of the equator, 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude. From West Africa all the way to Japan. It doesn't matter if you, we just made a box for you, so it's really simple, okay, if you get those mixed up, it doesn't matter. That's where 95% of the unreached peoples, peoples that haven't just rejected the gospel but don't have an opportunity to hear the good news live, and that's where we send just about everybody of the the people that we sent, this is where they're all going. The people that were all up here, this is where they're going. And yet, here's where the gospel resources lie. Look at, you can kind of draw a a line down the middle and call our half of the world the reached half. Now, there's a few exceptions for sure. But people like my neighbors and your neighbors, if they haven't heard the good news, they're unevangelized, not unreached. You see the difference? In the reached half, this is where the majority of resources go. For every 420 people that go into full-time ministry one person goes into the box to share the good news. So 420 people continue to sing songs with the church that hears the gospel all the time, and one little person goes to the unreached. And for every dollar given today to the North American church, 99% of it will go where the gospel is already proclaimed. 99% and less than a penny of every dollar is given to the people who have never heard the good news. You see how that's backwards? You see why as a church we are passionate about the unreached peoples, not just for their sake? And I mean, it's it's big enough deal that they haven't heard and that we're basically sending them very little. But but this is hindering, it seems from the scriptures pretty clear that return of our groom And so it would make sense that we would rearrange our resources to focus on this area of the world. And that's why the call today must go out to us as a church. And that's why there will be, by God's grace, hundreds of you that will raise your hand and show up. Getting a little ahead, but that's okay. But that will show up at a Monday or Tuesday night info session. And like I said at the beginning, we're not going to play music in the background but we're gonna we're gonna ask you to come do a one hour info session tomorrow night or Tuesday night. You can pick one or the other. We'll have childcare, and you can find out what do, what does it look like to practically go to the unreached peoples. And just to bring a little relief, it probably doesn't mean it, it, it most certainly doesn't mean that you're gonna leave next week or next month. For most of the folks that were up here, is a one, two, or three year process. It's a process to go. We want to make sure to send you out in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so we're asking for people to go long term. We're also asking people for, for people to go short term. We have over 20 different trips, over 20 different trips that are going to the nations, reached and unreached. And all of those short term trips fit a long term strategy. We don't, we're not just going to run a, a vacation Bible school unless that vacation Bible school fits into a long-term work with people there that are going to follow up and continue to proclaim the gospel. But at the end of the day, short-term trips are good, and we affirm them, but they will not get the job done. We need people to leave Austin. Start with, We usually start with two years, but say, have a passion for it, for life. Do whatever it takes to see the unreached reached with the gospel, and it's happening around the world today. Today, 155,000 people said yes to Jesus. 155,000. Does it sound like there's some joy in that? 155,000 people said yes. So, Jesus said in the Great Commission, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Same Greek word, ethne or ethnos. Make disciples of all the people groups. That's what we're supposed to do, not make disciples as an older believer meets with a younger believer, right? Like we meet at Denny's every week, we both bring our Bibles, we get a warm fuzzy feeling and then we go away and come back and do it the next week. There's nothing wrong with that, that kind of mentoring. But when Jesus said go and make disciples, he was talking about go into a people who have never heard the good news of Jesus, and see them come to faith in Christ, and then teach them to make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, to plant churches, that plant churches, that plant churches, and that's what will transform cultures. And we're all about cultural transformation, here in Austin and around the world, especially in the 1040 window. And social justice has become a pretty big deal lately, which is great. We're really excited about fighting human trafficking. We're excited about fighting sex slavery. We're excited about helping people drink clean drinking water so they don't die. But we want to affirm that the greatest injustice in the entire world is that people don't have access to the good news of Jesus. This is the greatest injustice in all the world. And, and, and so as we send people to help with human trafficking and provide clean drinking water, they will always have a strategy that coincides with making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Because until pimps and warlords and, and gang members and Al-Qaeda start to come to Christ, those cultures will not transform. That's the answer to plant churches, folks. That's the answer to all those injustices. And so we want to encourage you and ask you today. Will you go? Will you go? And your first step, your first step is to come tomorrow or Tuesday night to rearrange your schedule, to do whatever it takes, and come to one hour and hear practically, what does it mean? I've got lots of questions. What about my kids? What about my college debt? What about my parents? We want to walk through this process with you. These people up here, were, were, are no, they're, they're no different than you. Sinners saved by God's great grace. There's no reason that one, two, three years from now, you can't be standing up here. Not because it makes you better, but because you're answering the call God has on your life. Close with this. Revelation 7. This is the glorious end. This is what's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. It's not up for question or interpretation. This is going to happen. Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10, And I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every, from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. This is where all of it's heading. Back in the 1700s, Back in the 1700's in Germany there were two young men, John and David and they came to service just like you have today to be with their little church and the pastor got up and started to talk about 3,000 people who were trapped in slavery in the West Indies across the ocean from them and their slave owner was an atheist and so they had no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus so John and David made a decision by faith that they John and David, two young men in their 20s, would sell themselves into slavery that they could be a witness among them. Sell themselves into slavery. Most of their family members and friends strongly disagreed with their decision, but they got on the boat. And that day, as the the ones who supported or at least wanted to see them one last time were standing on the shore, waving and weeping and crying goodbye. John and David locked arms. And one of them raised their hand and said, May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Church, may we, may we be the bride consumed consumed with the return of Jesus, our groom. Let's pray. God, we want so desperately for you to return. And we confess, God, there are many days and many times where our affections and appetites are not for you. And yet now, because of your word, God, because of your word and your spirit that dwells inside us, the yearnings in us are deep and strong. And so may we, by faith, may you give us the courage to respond to what you're doing, God, in our hearts. Please give us courage. Lord, we have lots of questions, lots of fears. When we think about leaving Austin or our family or talking with our parents or leaving our jobs or our homes, we get afraid. And so, Lord, may that be superseded by the joy that awaits us in going to proclaim the good news to those who have never heard. That one day, God, we will see people say yes to you so that you would come back. We want to see you in all of your fullness, in all of your glory. We want to be with you more than anything else. May it happen in our lifetime. Please, God. We pray, and everyone agreed and said, amen.